Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics podcast for a Savage Critics website. After our first ever scheduled skip week, Graham McMillan and I are back with episode 95, two hours and two barrels of auditory comic book double talk. Once again, extensive show notes are up at savagecritic.com, and we advise you to use them as a roadmap to our amorphous conversational landscape, especially if you like to know how far in you need to jump to miss all the non-funny book talk. But we can tell you that we do discuss Saucer of Silk by Al Ewing and Brendan McCarthy, Axe Cop, President of the World Number One, Prophet Number 27, Captain Marvel Number One, National Comics Eternity, Flash Number 11, and Detective Comics Number 11, Extreme X Men Number 1, as well as updates on reading Mad Magazine, Shonen Jump Alpha, and The End of the Fucking World digitally. Also included a long, spoiler filled discussion of The Dark Knight Rises and all the Batman. Self-consciousness versus self-awareness, and much, much more. Please keep your hands and legs inside the vehicle at all time, and in case of accidental oral ingestion, please induce vomiting until all foreign substances are expelled. And, as ever, we hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. How are you doing? <sighs> oh, wow, that good. <laughs> Yeah, just uh, just a little crazed. You know how it is. Um, trying to make sure that all the computer stuff like booted up in time, and there's just a new set of like warning mer- messages and error messages and things that want to be clicked and updated. And I'm like, no, no, none of that. No, just fucking stop. So you're you're early despite this though. Yeah, I guess that's I guess that's true. I, I, I was I literally just plugged in my headset and you called. And I was like, uh, I hope it's working. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh well, sorry about that. Uh, hold on one second. <clears throat> do, 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 do. Okay, so how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, sir? Well, you know, because uh, it's been a week yes, for you. Like it, it has. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's been, it's been, it's been. Uh, a good vacation, I think. You know, I'm sort of, uh, as sometimes happens with vacations, when you get to the last day, that's when you start super stressing out, you know? Um, but I, th- I think it'll be okay. I would uh, know. I've noted vacation in a really long time. <laughs> <laughs> so a friend actually asked Kate and I the other, the other week, they were like, when was the last time you two took a vacation? And the best we can work out is maybe two years ago. Yeah, I mean, what do you guys consider a vacation? Is there some sort of minimum duration that to qualify, or um, it's not so much a minimum duration mm-hmm. because, like, we would count say a forty weekend mm-hmm. as vacation. It's a minimum amount of work, right? Well, you guys uh, you had that relatively stressful stay in a yurt about a year ago, didn't you? No, in a barn. That was, was it. We was visited it a, a yurt. We did, we did. Oh, we did oh yeah, the barn, the right barn. in outside Ashland or something like yes, that. Yes, yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, and it was it was very nice. Okay. Uh, but I was working during that. <laughs> oh, were you? Okay. Well, that is I true. Was, well, I stayed over. We stayed overnight in the barn, uh, mm-hmm. there and back. And I wasn't working that night, but I was working like a day on either side, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I got like two days off Oof. over a week period. Yeah, that's that's not very long. Um, and so, yeah, vacation is it's it's one of those things. Like when you're a freelancer, you you take the work when the work's offered to you, and you unless you're you know 
a really successful freelancer? And you can like, no, I don't think so. Uh, for most freelancers, you take the work when the work's available. And so if you end up working all the time, you end up working all the time. Right, right. And uh, you have been working all the time. Yeah, I, that's what I do, Jeff. That's what I do. <laughs> Dude, I, it's totally true. Just before uh, you called, I mm-hmm. saw um, that apparently comic books are burning in hell. The the uh, Tucker Stone, Joe McCulloch, Chris Mottner, Matt Seneca podcast. Mm-hmm. Apparently they are, quote, quote, totally dropping the McMillian when name dropping you in the new episodes. <laughs> First of all, thanks, Jeff. Secondly, that makes me scared to listen to the new episode. <laughs> I'm like, why are they name dropping me? Why are they saying McMillian? I'm very scared now. So yeah, That's you, you catch great. me at a very ambivalent time of my existence, Jeff Lester. Uh, well, that is that is fine. I will do my best not to tip you over to to one side or the other too much. But uh, I I myself am delighted and hope other people. We'll check out that podcast with me. So uh, <laughs> right now, and then there should be a do 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 and come. Okay, <laughs> I'm back, and it was awesome. Uh, yeah, that's hosted at the Factual Opinion, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah. So for the, for those who are interested, truck on. Just Google uh, Tucker Stone and Factual Opinion, and and I'm sure you will get over there. It's got it's got one of the best comic book podcast titles ever. So. Um, it was kind of great, though. Uh, at one point, a couple of weeks ago, uh, Tucker Stone emailed me and was like, man, what is – how the fuck do you get this thing on iTunes? I am losing my mind. <laughs> and you're like, oh, welcome to us a year exactly. and a half ago. <laughs> exactly. Well, and that was the worst part was uh, – <clears throat> I didn't catch on that he was basically in the same position that you were. And I'm like, oh, I bet I know what you're doing. You're screwing up your iTunes tags with your, you know, regular um, RSS feed tags. And you got to keep them separate. I like gave him an eight stage step thing. And he's like, oh, yeah, no, man, fuck that. No, OK. He really was. It was the same thing. He tried to use the same WordPress plugin that you'd used. And it had no luck. And it contacted them. And they were just like, eh, sorry. And I'm like, well, don't you want to like you know, create your own handcrafted RSS feed from scratch the way I did, I can I can totally send it to you. And yeah, I don't even think he was, it was not going to happen. <laughs> you should offer that. That should be your sideline. Yeah, it should be. Should be. Because people, well, will, people will take you up on it. They'll take me up on it for free, but, uh, I, I, which I, and don't get me wrong, I, I'm not saying that I would charge them or anything like that. Uh, but, but I've had other inquiries because people are like, hey, how the hell do you get, you know, more than 100 podcast entries on iTunes? And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's no problem. You just maintain your own RSS feed and you host it on your own site. And they're like, OK, thanks. You know what I mean? Because they were just like, <laughs> That's great. So you can do that for me, right? <laughs> <laughs> if I just like say thanks a lot. Thank goodness nobody has actually kind of moved into that particular uncomfortable area of um of moochiness because uh, i think i probably would say no but uh no i'd be like mm, nah. you've like oh really and then leave it to that <laughs> so uh let's see here um yeah we had vacation hijinks and rss hijinks and um i mean i haven't really mentioned my hijinks in any depth 
Uh, I but don't think you have to. You had vacation. I think I, vacation. I think everyone's okay just knowing that and not knowing no more anymore. Not knowing exactly. no more because I'm doing the double negative thing. <laughs> We can tell it's been a busy week for you because the the grammar just sort of starts to fall apart like a an overused cartoon clown car or something. Um, yeah, no, and it'd be great. It, actually, I realized it was one of the, oh, that is not true. Actually, I was going to say I have no comic book related anecdotes at all, but I do have a fast one that I will tell. Um, it is... Uh, uh, my dad, uh, who lives up in Humboldt County, um, manages to have two absolutely palatial storage spaces for which he pays so little money. It makes me weep compared to the amount of money that I have in order to maintain my, um, you know, uh, uh, secret comic book vault sure, in South San Francisco. You're, you're in San Francisco. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So uh, one of the things that happens every time we go up and visit my dad, uh, and it was a shame, on his 80th birthday, dad was at one point like, well, let's go out to the storage space and clean stuff out. And we're like, what? Like, we were (laughs) convinced that we'd cleared out all this stuff. Like, like, I've gotten random boxes from the man that's just packed up. Wait, 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 wait. So your dad's storage space is still filled with your and your brother's stuff? So let's put this another way. No, no, they're not. Because, well, or rather they were up to a certain point. But like, I swear to God, Graham, two, three years ago, I made it a point to drive up there and grab every box that was mine. Uh, yeah, that's every box. Out. What about your brothers? Yeah, okay. So maybe there was some problems with my brothers. There was a certain amount of confusion too. And also I'm starting to realize I figured out what side of the family my hoarding tendencies come from. Because it turns out <laughs> that dad just seems to have new boxes that he thought were his. And he breaks them open and he's like, oh, hey, more shit. So ironically enough, on the six-hour drive up uh, in which my brothers and I were uh, stuck in a car together. And I sort of half wish I could have recorded that and put that up as a podcast uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I think we would all sound identical to the untrained listener and it would have just sounded like me ranting in a variety of different slightly different voices and oh, no, we, with we, myself. Uh, Tim sounds very different to you. I suppose that's true. I suppose that's true. But but when I'm uh the few times I've gone out and, and seen Chris, like people do these like really ghastly um uh overly dramatic double takes whenever I open my mouth. So um uh Anyway, so on our way up, we were, among all the many other topics that we discussed, um, we spent some time complaining about the horror that is having to go to the to the storage space and clean out more stuff, essentially. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, Dad decided this was the perfect way to spend at least part of his 80th birthday is seeing his sons cry. So we drove out to this, again, palatial storage space and... Uh, which has almost nothing in it. And he proceeded to open up a few boxes. And uh, my brother, Tim, was pretty much the first one to crack and was just like, I don't care, Dad. Just we'll just any of it. We'll just throw it away. Just we'll put it in the car. I, I'll set fire to it right here. Just just give it to me. And um, and he handed over a box to me that he was like, yeah, just, just take it. We're going to get rid of it. And I opened it up and it was all of his... Um, 
I think it was Eagle Comics did a bunch of color reprints of 2000 AD books like back in the, I want to say around 87 or 88, you know, usually Judge Dredd, Brian Boland covers, yeah, but inside. No, I, I, I remember those. Yeah, exactly. He collected those things and here was the stash of them. <gasps> Jeff I Lester, know. tell me you did not throw those out. I was, I, I, Graham. You did, I, didn't you? No, I didn't. I was like, I can't, I can't get rid of these, man. I was like, he's like, I just don't want them. I'll just, I'm like, okay, I'll take them. And the thing that's ironic is because there's three of us in, in my car with all of our stuff, there's no way that I can actually take it. So I'm like, so basically what happens is Tim's like, I'm going to get rid of this, hands it to me. And I turn to dad and I'm like, I'm going to hold on. I'm going to come back for this dad and put it back on the shelf. So really... (laughs) Cleaning out the storage space just turns into an absurd Marx Brothers sketch in which we take a box, pass it to the next person who looks at it, can't bear to let it go, and put it back on the shelf in a different location. Um, So – but they were actually – I'm I'm glad that I stopped them because in the process of – at a later point, they were digging through. They, of course, found some of the comics that were mine that apparently, of course, I'd lent Chris, who then lent to Tim, including – um, the very end of Alan Moore's Miracle Man run, where I'd always wondered what had happened to those issues, because, you know, that that issue where uh, he and Kid Miracle Man or where Kid Miracle Man uh, have their final showdown in the destruction of London, you know, one of those like creepily seminal comic books that I know I had a copy of that, you know, fetches now hundreds and hundreds of dollars. Yeah. Um, was yeah sitting right there underneath and of course i was more excited by like oh shit robo warrior oh my god you cannot get rid of these you know so um first of all jeff is robo hunter oh damn it well okay now you know that i don't read them congratulations (laughs) detective this is why i want to get a hold of them okay robo hunter and wasn't there some other warrior there's some there's a rogue trooper yeah there's rogue trooper i know i know and there's Judge Dredd, and uh, I, I'm sure it was... Strontium Dog. Damn it. Why don't you guys have a warrior in there? There's just a hunter and a trooper? I, I don't think we do. Um, Man, god damn there's it. There's got to be a warrior somewhere. There must be. This like, is where, like, Douglas Wolk is listening to it and being like, oh my god, it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> Let me call in now. Front or whatever, yeah. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, but ABC I, don't think, I don't think it was warriors, called Warriors. Right? ABC Warriors, you're in There we go. There you go. Thank God. No, but it's funny that you say that because for the last three days or so, Mm -hmm. I have been jonesing for 2000 AD. Mm. Like really heavily, you know, if I wanting to just go and magically find all the issues I had when I was a kid Mm -hmm. and then all the collections since then. Mm Mm-hmm. I've, I've really just been craving 2080. I, I, I think we said this on the podcast before, but maybe not. Um, Rebellion, who are 2080's publisher in the UK, have uh, an FTP site for reviewers. And when they invited us, because I know you probably still haven't checked it out, but they invited both of us to check it out. And when I logged in, they had like the last 12 issues of 2080. And I... I just burned through those at the weekend. Uh-huh. And ever since then, I've just been like, oh, my God, I need more Judge Dredd. <laughs> more. I, yeah, really. Just yeah. I, I need more everything. I have read all of Douglas Waltz's Dread Reckoning blog. 
in like the last three days just in chunks because i'm like this is the closest i can get to thrill power (laughs) (laughs) well you heard it here first listeners graham mcmillan dangerously low on thrill power Uh, (laughs) exactly not scrotnig listeners (laughs) not scrotnig at all Well, you'll be surprised. I don't know about please, but you'll certainly be surprised to know I did, in fact, check that out. And my God, it's the end of the world. Yes. um, The only thing that I've managed to read, and uh, I wasn't actually sure that I would get it done in time for this podcast, in fact, uh, was Zosser of Zilk. So, um, and I thought that I'm like, okay, great. We could talk about Saucer of Zilk. And I'm really glad I finished it. Because honestly, up until about 45 pages in or so, I was like, I'm going to have to figure out a way to say very polite things about this so as not to upset Graham and or Al Ewing. Um, and then the last 10 to 15 pages, I thought really, because it's only six, 60 or yeah, 61 it's short. pages. It's really it's short. It's very short. Um, the last... I would say 10 pages really clicked in in a very, very satisfying way for me. But um, uh, but for the first 40 pages or so, I was just kind of like, why is it that Graham is down with the Zosser of Zilk, apart from the amazing, gorgeous art, but not down with something like Axe Cop when Zosser of Zilk is pretty much just yellow submarine by way of axe cop oh you know but it's I mean? not it's so much more arch and it's so much more knowing about there, uh about its own ridiculousness and popular culture i uh, maybe maybe it's the, it's making very specific or making references to a, a very specific popular culture that is very british i don't know i it mm-hmm. just it just seems zosar silk seems so much a smarter and mm-hmm. be self-aware than Axe Cop. Axe Cop seems self-conscious and Zosser of Zilk seems self-aware. Mm, I sense snob words being used. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, I, I really, there, there's, they are, they're miles apart for me. Mm-hmm. Well, they're, they're well, so very different that mm-hmm. they're so very different that if you hadn't said, I never would have put them together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, this is the thing. I actually read, finished Saucer of Zilk and read uh, Prophet 27 and Axe Cop, uh, President of the World, uh, all with all pretty much in the same 24-hour span, maybe even less than that, like a 12-hour span. And I was actually kind of pleasantly pleased by the way in which they all seem to have like they were all they couldn't be more utterly different of course in terms of their premises or or really their exec- execution i guess but there's something at the core of them that i found incredibly similar um actually uh well i, I i'm not entirely sure about I'll, I'll bring in some of my other suspects later but i i'm kind of, i was kind of fascinated do you think that um i i can see a great connection between Zosser and Brenda Graham stuff. Now they are mentioning yeah. it. I, I really uh-huh. can because uh, nothing else. The puns. Mm-hmm. Holy mm-hmm. crap! The puns that both Al Ewing and, and Brenda Graham yeah. use in those two books. It really, mm-hmm. really is a, a connection. I don't know. Axcox. Apps. Axcox. Wow. Version. <laughs> okay, that's right. Um, seems to be one of those things that 
rejoices in its own that's awesome stupidity right in a way that i mean definitely not brandon graham's work but also not as also result does for me how do you mean you don't get a sense of rejoicing in that i don't think i get a sense of rejoicing but not in its own dumb appeal hmm. does that make sense well it makes sense but i think i might continue to call you on it uh how so it's really hard it's hard for me to say but i'll be like jeff just read it um well but no but see and this is the thing i did read saucer of zilk and to me <laughs> no, the part I, that, I, it's more the axe cop thing that, that's causing me problems oh right well okay so here well right yeah i see what you're saying well okay for me those three books are all created with essentially a very tight uh, in which the artist has a very strong hand in the creation of the story, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems to me that they all three of them have a very strong sense of wonder and whimsy being put ahead of more what I would call is more traditional characterization based comics, you know. Um, cause Saucer of Zilk does start, I mean, my, I think my big problem with it for the first batch of pages is considering the very, um, it opens very much in a way that sort of reminded me of something like, uh, Milligan and Fergretto's Enigma, uh, w- which I quite liked, but then never even really circles around to it. You know, there is a, a sense, um, of its, I guess, its own theatricality, but I think for me, uh, and and I could be wrong. I felt that although Ewing was doing a, a fantastic job of it, there seemed to be a little bit more writerly vamping, I suppose, where the I- images and the and the visuals come first, and then the through line of what what's going on or what it means seems to come afterward, you know? And I sort of found that that felt like that was very much the case. Like I said, in all three books, just with varying degrees of, um, I don't know, sophistication, I suppose. So here's mm-hmm. a question based on that. First of all, I want to say that I don't, I think one of the differences for me, maybe for Axcop does not have whimsy. Wow, what? Well, I what would be your definition of whimsy and or or you feel the whimsy I, of I, course I, is I, forced. Yeah, I feel it's cynical. No. I feel I feel Axe Cop is kind of kind of takes an incredible detour from whimsy in its very concept. Because I feel that part of the appeal, quote unquote, of Axe Cop mm-hmm. is look at these crazy ideas from a kid. They're awesome because they're dumb. And that that element of it feels hmm. cruel in a way that, for me, whimsy doesn't. I don't, and I, I might I might entirely be projecting that. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, my enjoyment of it comes from the idea of like, yeah, these things are ridiculous, but ridiculous again to me in a way that's satisfying. I mean, it's sort of going to be. Hopefully, future generations of comic historians will be able to better map out what I think of as the Haney zone, you know, where <laughs> where to me, Bob Haney has the stuff in his work that I I love, 
manages to come to it in a place that um, ends up not feeling cynical, at least on my part. I mean, you know, maybe maybe part of the problem is, is our definitions are such that you're sort of like, well, I can't see how anyone would like Axe Cop unless they were liking it ironically. But I really don't feel that it's, that's no, the it's case. Not, it's not even necessarily that as much as I think in the construction and selling of Axe Cop. Mm-hmm. So much is made of the novelty of, and it's by a kid, that mm-hmm. it, it takes a remove from the idea of these ideas are wonderful and, mm-hmm. and tries to immediately contextualize it as these ideas are wonderful because it's a good kid coming up with it. Does that make sense? I don't know. I just I feel there's something yeah. in the very existence, in the DNA of Axe Cop that right. removes it from the whimsy because it gets meta. I don't think that I necessarily agree, I'll be honest, because to me, I see your point, but to me, it's not as much meta as much as it is. It's it's that there. Well, let's put it this way for for a webcomic as the as it started off as a one off, I can sort of see the point of that as it has continued to grow. I think as we get more issues and more stuff, I think it really does become more of a, a celebration of um, childlike imagination, you know, and, and not in a not in a way of like, oh, this stuff is so crazy because a kid thought of it and kids, they're crazy as much as it becomes this thing of like, once you remove certain boundaries of um, to your storytelling you can go to very drastically different places and especially something like comics allows like it's it's a much better fit like to me the the part that's not especially so you know that that i i would say that axe cop tends to feel to me like more of a a corrective i think in the case of comics not cynical at all but but almost instructive in the sense of like look this is this is kind of what comics are supposed to be they're supposed to be closer to this comics can do these things really really well and if you do them you're kind of you know they become more fun you know what i mean like axe cop seems to me very very thoroughly on on the the fun comics bandwagon but not in a, a smarmy, ironic, you know, hipstery way, I don't think, you know? That's, yeah, I, I can't, I can't get Axe Comic without the smarmy hipster way. Well, like which it, is interesting it's, it's to me. It's impossible for me to read, but it's funny because when you're saying like on the fun, this is what comics could be, thing, mm-hmm. that's what Zosser Zilk is for me. Well, yeah, but interestingly enough is you've also talked about how Arch it it is so i mean i what what in that sense is the difference between the archness of zasser of zilk as opposed to what you see as the 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 the, the metasmarm uh, of uh, of axe cop i feel that the metasmarm of axe cop axe cop which is for some reason the comic you just can't, don't like it cuz you can't, can't say axe cop exactly. <laughs> um, i feel that the metasmarm is aimed internally mm-hmm. whereas for Zosser it's very clearly aimed externally everything in Zosser for me is theatricality and show and entertainment and 
discerning ideas that exist outside to repurpose mm-hmm. them. And I feel that in Axe Cop, there's, there is that, but it's layered with this level of, oh, wacky idea. What's this kid going to come up to, with next? Right. And that, that really, like, that poisons the reading experience for me for Axe Cop. Mm-hmm. I can't read Axe Cop without that. Hmm. Hmm. Interesting. Well, I, I, I see your point. I wish that wasn't the case. It'd be very interesting to me to, to try and corner um, uh, Ethan Nicole and, and find out to what extent he would, you know, uh, to, to, to sort of level that at him and to see to what extent he would either acknowledge it fiercely deny it or deny it with kind of the knowing wink and nod that I think we would, we would fear. Huh. Oh, I, I think he'd have to vehemently deny it. Do you not think, do you not think if he was like, yeah, I'm sure. laughing at my brother. Oh my God, that'd be a terrible idea. But I don't, I, yeah, I mean, it is a terrible idea, but I think that it's also kind of, it's very strange then that you're very much in this zone of like, you're still somehow convinced that that is what's happening. Though. Oh, I'm entirely you know I mean? convinced that that's what's happening. But I also, I guess what it is, I don't want him to not deny it because then it would ruin it for everyone else. Mm-hmm. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. It, like just because, just because I don't enjoy it and I have this particular right. take on it, I don't want everyone else to have it. Do you know what right. I mean? Like I would rather everyone else had your take on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I feel that... Well, my enjoyment of Axe Cop is ruined by my own cynicism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, no, but if you can come at it from a less cynical place and get more out of it, that's great. Like that, but that's you know, that's not just Axe Cop. That's for everything. That's for like Rob Liefeld comics. That's for. Do you sure. know what I mean? Like, I would rather everyone enjoyed everything more than me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there, there's our wait what slogan. I have to say, <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. No, no, no. I'm with you because I feel that way about a whole bunch of other stuff. You know, I mean, it's like when I posted that uh, that review of Amazing Spider-Man, you know, I really was like wrote it thinking like, well, this is going to be a slam dunk because I walked out of it going, well, clearly there's no way anyone could feel any differently about this movie than me. And I wrote it. And the number of people that wrote in who were like, this was the best of the four movies and you're crazy, and I think it's awesome that they didn't do blank or blank or blank. I was like, okay, well, God be with you. You know what I mean? Like, I really was. Like, thank, I'm really glad that you enjoyed it. But I was also kind of at that stage of like, huh, I, I'm starting to see why people do refer to me as the cynical one on the podcast. No, but, so. it's, but it's one of those things. Like, I don't know about you, but when I don't enjoy something and other people do, I simultaneously mm-hmm. have a, have I read this wrong? And also, right. I wish I could have their reaction. Yeah, and I think we've talked about this before. Like, I wish mm-hmm. I could have your reaction to Uncanny X-Force, for example. Right. You know, right. or even Profit, which you mm-hmm. enjoy much more than I do. Right. Uh, and, I'm, and I know there are books that you dig that I do not dig. Well, Zosser of Zilk. Um, well, I have to say Zosser of Zilk kicked in for me in the last 10 pages. Like, I put, I, you know, just, just to, you know... Um, make it clear to you and the listeners and Al Ewing, the last 10 pages actually did kind of snap it into a place where the, the suddenly the sense of wonder became more in, in scale to what was going on. You know, things kind of scaled up to a way. And it also finally felt like a 
relatively earned uh, melancholic message at the end. You know, kind of the 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 sort of proper bittersweet ending that seemed appropriate to it. You know, um, as opposed to leading into it, I was kind of like, I'm trying to kind of squint and see this. You know, or even not even to push anything onto it, just to enjoy what was happening for for what it was. And I mean, the visuals are lovely, but. Uh, but I did find myself chafing a little bit, you know. Um, well, that's what I was going to ask way back before I was like, hey, I don't agree about whimsy. Um, you compared the opening of Zoster of Zilk to Enigma. Mm-hmm. In what way? Well, there's two ways. Uh, one is it's it has a um, pers- very personable, direct narration um, that that makes you feel that the narrator is not going to be one of the direct participants, but is involved with this story. Like they all, but hint like that at certain points, which happens in Enigma and does happen with a uh, saucer of Zilk. Um, there was also just the opening in which the kid, the kid is transformed into saucer. Um, and the story just kind of, runs with it. I mean, you can kind of backwards reverse engineer what might have happened to him within the confines of the story to make him the kid and what happened. But originally it struck me as almost like a um a little closer to something like Joe the Barbarian where it's like here's a here's an ordinary person being transfigured by extraordinary events um that are sl- more than a little surreal, which again uh, reminds me very much of of, uh, of Enigma. Although, again, some of that could be the way that um, that uh, McCarthy draws the protagonist in the in his pre-Zosser transformation phases, for whatever reason. Hmm. Yeah. So, just some superficial things, but just very much my take. There was just something about when he f- grabs the sweethearts at the sweet shop. And the different phrases on them, and one of them being, you know, the the phrase that that sort of transforms him. Uh, weirdly enough, that has you know shout outs and everything from you know Flex Mentalo and, uh, and everything. But for whatever reason, I think with the narrator's tone, which was both flashy but direct, um, made me think. Like I said, Milligan's Enigma. So. And Figueroa's work, who you know, which again at the time uh, reminds me of McCarthy in some ways. So, does that huh. make yeah. more sense, or is it no, no. even shakier? Uh, I... I don't see the Figueroa Milligan. Hmm. Um, the the uh, sorry, the Figueroa uh, McCarthy. I mean, um, yeah, I can see the archness of the the narrator. Hmm. I don't know. I, I can see it, but I also see lots of differences. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, 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 I'll give you, I'll give you that one in a sort of like, yeah, kind, kind of. of. Yeah, I can see that. Well, it's fair. Cause I have not, um, I haven't revisited Enigma in ooh, it, probably close to a decade and, and really probably should. So, um, yeah. So like I said, it, it, yeah, there was there was a variety of things that that sort of tripped me up in my expectations going in that sort of uh, threw me off in a way, and I think that might have been 
me pushing too much against the narrative or trying too hard to uh, throw a narrative focus on it um, that seemed a little, you know, at a certain point, it seemed to be talking about the nature of celebrity. You know, it very much talked about the idea of Zosser as a, a, a celebrity um, in his world and his sort of uh, arrogance and vanity that sort of preens uh, into it. And I kind of had that feeling of like, ah, you know, like, (laughs) you know, I was, I just kind of, again, it's, it's like it ended up going someplace very different that I approved of, but I was kind of like, oh man, I just don't want to, I don't want to read the well, uh, the gorgeously illustrated equivalent of a Jarvis Cocker album. You know, I just, that it, it just seemed a little too easy. I'm like, Oh really? That's all there is. And like I said, I felt like ultimately there was more, but for a long time, I really felt like there was a lot of, I just, I, I felt, I, I, things felt very forced during the middle section, but, but that might've been me really working in opposition to the work and not, not being a very generous reader at all. I have to say, the uh, artistic, artistic equivalent of a Jarvis Cocker album is a great pool quote. <laughs> it is. like That's how IDW should try and sell their reprint. <laughs> well, they're certainly welcome uh, to, to use it. Uh, if any of you want, and I will, even, I will even make it sound like that is a very positive thing that I meant indeed. Because <laughs> I really did like the, the 10 pages a lot, a lot, a lot. So. What did you manage to read? Anything else from the the 2080? Uh, no, still archive. No, no I've I, I pulled a ton on there and threw it on on my iPad, but but due to travel constraints, um, I I wasn't really able to fire anything up. I'm I'm actually kind of looking forward to. I had bought the Judge Dread um, complete case files volume five uh, in heart in paperback. And it's been sitting on my shelf, and I was kind of like meaning, been meaning to attack it. I'm kind of hoping that I'll attack it now that it's on the iPad, but I'm, I'm not sure. How about – it sounds like you worked your way all the way through like 1770-whatever yeah. to 1780-whatever. Yeah. yeah, I did I did all of the, the, the progs that are there and the couple of magazines that were up. Wow, and the magazines. Now, it, are the magazines uh, – this is a total neophyte question – are are the magazines? Are they just Judge Dread because they're called that, or is it that they have slightly longer stories? Or it's what's, what's uh, it's so far like right now, uh, all but one of the stories is set in the Judge Dread universe. Oh, I see. Uh, and the stories are longer. the uh, The Judge Dread story was like fifteen pages, as opposed to like five or six. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and it's you know it's it's fine. It's actually uh, Simon Spurrier who's writing the. the stories in the two I read and Mm -hmm. he he does a fine job but in the 2080s I read it was Al Ewing again and John Wagner and John Wagner finishing off one of his epic you know here's my 30 episodes right you know I am changing everything stories and so the Simon Spurrier thing especially because it was a a parody of the Avengers seems kind of weak (laughs) in comparison right (laughs) <laughs> um, but you know it's one of those things where part of dread is satire and pop culture mm-hmm. satire like that is part of his DNA and so right. it's not like you're like well this you know this parody of the Avengers doesn't make any sense what are you talking about it was very firmly dread's tongue-in-cheek material right. Right. Um, what else is in there there's the new Andy Diggle jock story snapshot 
hmm. uh, which is set in San Francisco. Hmm. And in a comic store in San Francisco, actually. Uh, huh. Huh, indeed. Is it, is it the the Positron Comics or something like that? Or It is not the Positron Comics, although it, the, the, it is the same address as Isotope. Because ah, they give the address at one point as Isotope's address. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's very Andy Diggle. Mm-hmm. Um, it, as I said, I, I like it a lot more than I liked, for example, Losers. It mm-hmm. seems to just have a much more direct through line. Part, perhaps because it's so short and it quite clearly is like, here is a story as opposed to, here is a 30-issue story that I'm going to kind of juggle and have filler in. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a couple of sort of additional small somewhere else within the universe of Judge Dredd stories in there. And mm-hmm. normally a couple of interviews or an interview and a, uh, a pro story or something like that is in there as well. Mm-hmm. It's a nice package. Hmm. I, I will. I will have to look into it. You have uh, to. But the thing is, you have to be into this Judge Dread universe for it to right. be worthwhile. If that makes sense, like if you're just like, right. I like Dread, but all the spinoffs not so much. It's going to leave you cold. Well, it just it will, will probably just leave me baffled. Well, especially the couple that are on the FTP now, they really will because it's like the last episode of one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you'll be like, great, I'm reading part twelve. Okay right. then. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I would recommend that you read the 2000s before I, before the magazine, definitely. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, because really, the 2000s have really superior material. And to be honest, it kind of kills me that 2000 is, what, $5, $6 in print in the US? Yeah. Because I, there's, no, there's honestly no way I can recommend people buy a 32-page anthology for $6. I just can't. But in terms of quality, 2080 is great right now. Well, would you recommend? Because it's a little less if they pick it up electronically, isn't it? Like they could buy the PDF. Yeah, I want to say it's what? $3 if you pick it up as PDF? Yeah, I think that's what you were saying. Um, Yeah, in that case, I'd definitely tell people to try it out. I'd probably recommend they wait or go back and get a back issue for the the next or last jumping on point. Generally, Mm -hmm. four times every year, 2080 does an issue where... All of the stories are new. Oh, nice. Like, it, Judge Dredd will be starting a new adventure, but all of the other series are new. So you mm-hmm. can just start there and go from that point. Um, you know, uh, I should mention, if I can get to it, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. I, I should give the the little weekly Shonen, um, Shonen Jump update, you know, because they... Um, damn it, this damn thing didn't open to the right page. But uh, they've got a new serial that just started up uh, in... Sh- Shonen Jump Alpha. So I kind of have this situation where it's called uh, Takagama Gabhara. I think that's it. Jeez. And uh, I'm sure I slaughtered that pronunciation. So between that and uh, Barrage, um, I've got, you know, two relatively new um, storylines, you know, jumping on. And then you've got, you know, Naruto, One Piece, um, to Rico and Bleach. So it, it's for for people who are kind of thinking about maybe jumping on to Shonen Jump Alpha, there are a variety of new new comics here and it looks like um it looks like the new series is uh very whimsical as I think uh, just almost every series post One Piece is going to end up being, but also potentially kind of fun about, you know, uh, uh mm, Essentially, it's a it's about a family of demigods, 
uh, here on Earth who are incredibly competitive and the one kid who just wants to be a manga artist and uh, but but finds out that he has, you know, the right arm of the gods and whether he's going to use that for fighting or drawing manga, we have yet to see. (laughs) You know, is he going to use it for fighting or drawing manga? That's spectacular. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, it's been fun for people who have been thinking about it. It is an absolutely fantastic value. I, I should mention that I also read. Uh, that was another thing when I was reading the various old comics last week, um, you know, procrastinating before my trip, I caught up on the last two issues of mad and, uh, those ended up being really fun to read as well. Um, having those electronically, uh, is also kind of, I'm getting, I'm turning into a very, very big fan of the sort of digital newsstand aspect, especially in the case of those two, where you have subscriptions, mm-hmm. um, you know, shown and jump being weekly, to me is the one that you kind of, you know, if you like the material, you kind of can't beat it because it's always there. And Mad Magazine is a little weirder in the sense that uh, the way that it, it, it tries to interact with Apple's newsstand, you think that's where you would go to find it, but you actually have to open the app and then go to the library of issues and download whatever's available to you that may have popped up since last time. You have to be way, way, way more proactive, I think, uh, which is goofy. And also, if you don't mind, Graham, I should mention, although I'm going to – people should jump over to savagecritic.com to check out our show notes because I don't have the website in front of me. But um, Charles Forsman, who does The End of the Fucking World – uh, is now offering PDFs of his of that mini comic on his website. I want to say it's oilycomics.com or something like that. But you know, definitely look at the show notes on Savage Creek. I'll have the direct link because a lot of people have expressed interest in it. Me, and it's, yeah. Well, you've got the you've got the avail you've got the possibility of being able to buy it for a dollar an issue as a PDF. I'm not quite sure. It, you know, it's got a, a you know, part of the charm are those little, the mini comic feel of it. But mm. I kind of really do like the idea that he's, um, he's having it available uh, as a PDF for, for people to pay the same price for, which is very small. He's also got subscriptions to his uh, mini comic club. Um, honestly, I think by the time we get this episode up, uh, it will be people will have to jump there on the day of. But my understanding is, is at least through the end of July, he was offering opportunities for people to pay. I want to say like maybe thirty dollars and get all the books that are being published from his little mini comics publisher over the course of three months, which include which sounds like it's about you know twelve to fifteen items, um, or a maybe a six month subscription for fifty bucks. So. That's if you want stuff actually mailed to your house and you want the mini comic feel. Otherwise, look into those PDFs. End of the fucking world. It's a, it's a really kind of an amazing mini comic. And uh, Forsman is kind of a, an amazing guy. So um, I've just Googled it for you. It is Oily Comics. O-I-L, sorry, O-I-L-Y-C-O-M-I-C-S dot com. Dot com. Hey, that is great. Thank you for looking that up. And I can't believe that I got it right. So... That's kind of my digital update. Mm, you know, I feel like she go digital updates with Jeff Lester. 
<laughs> that was great because you sounded so much like someone saying ba ba boom, you know, <laughs> rather than any sort of musical instrument. It's kind of strange. It's like, yes, that's Graham McMillan, New Jersey gangster. <laughs> to introduce that's the only time I'll ever be described as a New Jersey gangster. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. Hey, so Talking about gangsters and Baba Booms. Beautiful segue. Yes. Dark Knight Rises. Go. Dark Knight Rises. Oh, dude, I wanted you to go. Okay. Did you? So I saw it last night and oh, with are you Edie. In that conflicted moment, because I, I, I honestly walked away from the theater on Sunday and was like, I think I liked it. Did I like it? I don't know. Did I like it? I think I liked it. Maybe I didn't like it. I didn't like The Dark Knight. I liked it more than The Dark Knight then. But does that count as liking it? And I had that process in my brain for like a day. (laughs) Well, okay. It is um, hands down, I would have to say, a better constructed film than The Dark Knight. And at two hours and 45 minutes, I felt that it earned that kind of epic sweep to it you know um i think i found the first i'm gonna say hour really choppy and slow mm, interesting I, I i thought the construction of it early on was was it was one of those things where you're like i'm waiting for it to kick in i'm waiting for it to kick in and then when it did i was like yes but <laughs> you know i really for i was struggling for the opening of it definitely Interesting. For me, overall, this is the thing. I walked out of it. And and see, uh, with The Dark Knight, I was aware, I I was so annoyed and appalled at how long it went and overstuffed it was, and especially the last 30 minutes to 45 minutes, like it was too full of stuff. It just, it could have, it could have cut every, it really needed to cut it and streamline it. And of course, all the Harvey Dent stuff just felt way overly jammed in there. But there's even... You know, the fact that they tried to build multiple action climaxes there at the end was just kind of ludicrous, you know. And yet the parts uh, that I connected with, with The Dark Knight, which really, I think, for me, more than anything, centered around Heath Ledger's performance, I thought were phenomenal. Um, The Dark Knight Rises, by contrast, apart from really... I'm not even sure it was a connecting with, but having just absolutely extraordinary amounts of appreciation and gratitude for Anne Hathaway and her the portrayal of Catwoman in the movie. Um, the rest of the film was a lot like going to the opera and realizing that you're not really necessarily a fan of opera. That's kind of what I walked out. I was like, well, that was big and epic, and it had lots of stuff, um, but I felt really cold and uh, removed from the majority of it. I felt like I was watching the movie from a huge distance, no matter how much it wanted it to be otherwise, you know? It was... I I completely agree with you that Anne Hathaway was the reason to go and see it. Like, if you need to be convinced, Anne Hathaway is really good in it and i don't yeah. think i've actually liked Anne hathaway anything else i've ever seen but right. on this i was like oh she could be in every scene and this would be a much better film yeah 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 yeah. she it, she was she was having so much fun mm-hmm. she was having so much fun and i think and this is going to sound weird but chris nolan was so clearly having so much fun with her yes you know what i mean yeah and i think she she and um just gordon levitt both film feel like they came out of different films not that yeah. they came out of the same film but mm-hmm. they came out of different films into uh, the dark Knight rises uh yeah. and i think that's one of the reasons why the two of them were my favorite characters and performances in there because i mm-hmm. think that the 
traditional Chris Nolan characters were were exactly as I'd found as I'd left them in The Dark Knight, which is like you're really leaden and you're self-important, and I don't like spending time with you. That said, Bane I thought was such a horrendous miscalculation and. <laughs> I was trying to explain to Kate what Bane was like, and I mm-hmm. was basically like, imagine a bald man wearing a mask <laughs> throughout the entire film. Like, mm-hmm. did you genuinely understand more than half of what he said? Yes, more than half, but I was you always... Imp- I, I yes. was so much of it, I was like, okay, I kind of am getting maybe three words out of that sentence. Yeah, no, I was. I, I would say the majority of it, where except... Every once in a while, like at some very crucial points, I couldn't. But I'll be honest, I had there was a point where like Gary Oldman is having a scene with Joseph Gordon Levitt, and my comprehension of being able to speak Gary Oldmanese dropped down to about twenty five percent for like two sentences, and suddenly I was like, well, "Okay, what? Hey!" And so later on, they were like, "Oh." have become shackles. Oh. <laughs> now I get it. Yeah, it's funny when a guy in a mask whose words you can't actually understand or comprehend mm-hmm. still makes more sense when reading a speech than Gary Oldman does. Than Gary Oldman, yeah, moving <laughs> his lips. No, the thing actually that was a shame for me was is that um, Nolan had clearly gone back and cleaned up Bane's dialogue to make it stand out more. And so to me, it was actually almost disquietingly clear. Like they push the, you know, it would be like, instead he would be like, no, I totally see what you're doing. And it is very funny. You know? And I was like, wow, it just, it seemed, it seemed intrusive. And also it didn't connect to Tom Hardy's, um, face at all like it just seemed this this movie actually it was a weird waste of tom hardy wasn't it it was i I mean that could have been anyone yeah and you know tom hardy is absolutely one of my all-time fave current favorite actors and in a way it was kind of because there were a few times where he had some of the lines where he brought sort of a suitable hamminess to the lines that kind of that kind of made it fun like bane is you, at least for me, by by the end, and I don't want to give out the various twists and turns, although part of me is so used to us spoiling everything for everyone. So, uh, uh, let's so are, consider are this not, partial spoilers. I, I, I kind of wants it to completely spoil. Yeah, let's uh, let's 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 actually. So yes. I also I also figure. Yeah. I think most people who are listening to this who want to see the film will have seen the film by the time this goes yeah. live. So, listeners, from this point on, consider yourselves like it's full tilt spoilers. I was – it would have helped if I hadn't been five – I mean, I think any comic book fan was seven steps ahead of the last 20 minutes of the movie, I think, and that really counted against it for me. I, I mean, I know that Edie turned around and was kind of like, huh, okay, I was really surprised when Marion Cartier did that thing. But I, I, I went back and forth on her the whole time. I was like, well, that's obviously Talia. And maybe it's not Talia. Now, it's right. got to be Talia. Oh, is Bane Talia in this one? Oh, okay, I see it. See? Oh, Bane. that's Talia. Do you know what? I literally was going, yeah. I mean, it is, isn't it? But maybe it's not. But it's got to be. But maybe it's not. The only yeah. point where I was like, oh, sure, was when she slept with Bruce Wayne. And then I was like, oh, Talia. <laughs> Right, exactly. Pure, I kind of wish pure, they left that scene out, yeah. Cause purely because of the um, mm-hmm. the fact that Bruce Wayne then goes out and obviously never comes back to the mansion. 
mm-hmm. that night. And you'd think that she'd be like, yeah, he disappeared. I was with him at the mansion, and then he disappeared in the middle of the night. And because she never said anything like that, it's like, oh, she's a baddie. Yeah, she's a baddie. Uh, yeah, no, I I really I appreciated the fact that they were trying to set that up and, and do it sort of in an evocation as much from the similar turn in Batman Begins, which I thought was carried off really well. But it was just too obvious. I mean, the best thing you've got going for Batman, for, for Dark Knight Rises, is you have so many name characters in so many kind of minor roles that you can almost find yourself going, yeah, I believe that Marion Cotillard just exists to be kind of the good girl alternative to Catwoman, maybe, but I know she's totally not, you know? But even when they did the thing of, like, Bane being the son of Ra's al Ghul, I was like... It, you know they 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 definitely worked their ass off to establish the misdirections. Oh, and I should also say that this is um, I felt even though Dark Knight Rises like I enjoyed it from this sort of icy distance. I really thought that it was a very savvy adaptation of a bunch of DC comics. You know what I mean? Like I walked out of that movie going, you know, I never read No Man's Land and I kind of want to now. And I sort of am, I think that DC's really kind of missing the boat by not pushing both Nightfall and No Man's Land as like the inspirations for the movie, you know, because that whole turn on things as absurdly as, as, well, we'll get we'll get to this in a moment because honestly, the 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 part of the movie that I feel that I was most emotionally engaged on was feeling really uncomfortable of the class politics of the movie, which I don't think is exactly the sort of thing people want to talk about when talking about you know superhero Batman films. So I was going to save it for the end so as not to nauseate everybody. Well, I, I was going to say uh, if you haven't read the post on Think Progress today about the politics of Dark Knight Rises, you really should. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. it's a really really smart piece. Well, that's good. I'm glad because I walked out of it feeling really antsy. Like they did some really interesting stuff, and then the way they flipped it so heavily in the end to get their ending, it was like, huh, yeah, this is really way more um, a fascistic status quo take on the film than it acted like it was going for the first two hours. And in fact, the way that it flips it, I mean, I sort of liked for the first two thirds of the movie, the fact that Bane is very clearly a terrorist, but there is a tone throughout at least a chunk of the movie that suggests that that, that class imbalances have reached a peak at, in Gotham. And unfortunately, it ended up being so clumsily handled that during the, the final third, I guess, when when Gotham falls into no man land territory and does a lot of real obvious call outs to 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 the Occupy movement, it becomes really creepy because all of, you know, for the first two thirds of the movie, it's kind of like, oh, everybody feels this way. And then at the end, nobody seems to feel that way but a bunch of common criminals, you know? Well, and it yeah, was... all, all of that was very, very weird. I mean, for the movie mm-hmm. to work the way that they seem to want it to work, you've mm-hmm. essentially got to buy into the fact that some guy is going to come into Gotham and say, I've got a nuclear bomb, people, take back your streets, and everyone is okay with that, and they riot. 
Right. And well, it's like that just yeah. that doesn't make sense. The idea that people are not shit scared and are staying in the house because there's a fucking nuclear bomb in your city. Right. Right. It, well, it, it really it's kind of like, well, of course, this is what happens. It's one of those don't think about it too much because it's going to completely break the story. Well, and that's the thing and, and that really bothered that's, me. Yeah. That, yeah, that's all through the film, though. I mean, yeah. how, the, how are the policemen so fucking healthy after staying underground for three months? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they were like, well, if we show them getting food, I'm like, dudes, you guys need, like, fucking sunlight. Hello, you know? Yeah, it was, it, it, it's, uh, there's so many. The, the class, the problem with the politics in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those things that it's politically it thinks it's really smart and it's actually really dumb. Like it's, yeah. it's it treats politics the way that you know you do when you're 16 and you're really intense and you're like <laughs> I have read this Greenpeace pamphlet and somebody should fucking save the world. <laughs> you know I'm feeling this so so sincerely right now, you guys. Right. Um, yeah. It's like that, but I mean, it, I it, it, I would be happy if it was just that. But you know what I mean? That's that kid does not go and make a piece in which the big confrontation is three thousand police officers marching on a group of armed men and dying, sort of, you know, heroically and uh, in some points kind of absurdly West Side Story ishly. You know I mean, what I mean? You've like, also got Catwoman's arc, which mm-hmm. is. I am against the unjust distribution of wealth. Right. Oh no, I've changed my mind entirely. I'm going to mm-hmm. support this because the alternative to the unjust distribution of wealth is anarchy. Right. Which like, seems I, to be the I, point I, that they were going for and backed down super heavily from. But I, insane. Like that, that's yeah. clearly like that's clearly her arc. Mm-hmm. You know, when she mm-hmm. saves the kids with the apple. Right. She's, they're like, you know, this is the way it is. And it's like, well, she's just making the best of a bad situation. But you can tell you know, when she has the conversation with Holly, she's like, oh, these rich people are people too. I was too hard on them. It's not their mm-hmm. fault they're rich. Right. Like there is – oh, it, yeah, it's just – Yeah, it's it's very creepy. It, it, and again, it smart. kind of has that stage. Well, I'm sorry. What's that? I was going to say it's just – I just said again. It's, it thinks it's really smart and it's really not. It's it's a film that's like ah ah have you th- have you thought about ah <laughs> do you, do you know the rich people are people too what do you think about that now ah uh-huh. really? <laughs> oh god yeah I I just it's interesting I actually didn't think that it was as much a point of cleverness although it may I just thought that it was um it. In that context, it was kind of uh, to me. It actually felt that all this, all this stuff you were saying about Axe Cop, I thought was actually more applicable to The Dark Knight Rises in a lot of ways because it really was the kind of like, "Hey, are we going to bust a daring move?" And then it's going to be like, "Well, no, of course not. We're going to trot back into our cage, and this <laughs> is a Warner Brothers movie, and we're definitely going to talk about people. It's really good that we have order, and believe me, the police." Are your friends? Admittedly, not so much if you are poor and of color, but essentially the good guys all the time, you know, and all that other stuff that we were saying. Hey, come on, you know, let's give it some zing. You know what yeah, I mean? And I have to say that was it. It my, felt very my, cynical. I was very, very surprised that Gordon's second in command, 
who then is going like, I've got to take care of my family. Fuck you and justice. Then comes out at the end for the big charge. And it like disappears after that. There's no, there's nothing. Do you know what I mean? There's what? no payoff for him being. No, there is. I think you missed it because it went for a PG-13 movie. Um, but he comes out. He leads them to the beginning. They show him. He whips out his gun and guns down a couple of dudes or makes a couple of strategic shots. And then Talia in the truck guns him down and a whole bunch of people. There's actually a close-up of his body lying there yeah, in the snow next to a bunch of other. So guess, you're supposed to see him I'm, get gunned down. But I guess what I'm saying is there's people. nothing beyond that. Do you know what I mean? Like okay. for, <laughs> yes. for, No, for him, for that being – because it feels like a plot – and yeah. then it, there's no resolution for that plot because for me, him dying heroically is not resolution for that plot. No, I, I well, does that make I sense? Like, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I feel yeah. like you need no, no, no. like just because it's. I feel like it's just been like, and then he died. Right. You know, and I feel like there had to be some sort of payoff, and there's no payoff for it at all. Oh, that's interesting. I thought that the payoff was there in precisely the way you would get. That's exactly how shallow an arc would be for a supporting character in like a 70s comic book. But I didn't feel that it, you know, because they couldn't get the the pathos-laden captions in there, I didn't feel that it was, you know, it, it, the same way that it ended up being when I revisited a lot of those 70s comic books. I'm like, oh, this is just actually a shellacking of a couple of different stereotypes onto one, you know, person to make them seem like a character, when in fact they're just a variety of smooshed caricatures, yeah. you know? So, yeah, that was that whole thing with Matthew Modine was ridiculous. I actually thought uh, this was the one where I actually like Gary Oldman as Commissioner Gordon kind of. Well, I sort of like some of the stuff he did in The Dark Knight, too, but the most. The other thing that was hilarious is I was I was surprised. Like I had never had paid attention to how badly um, Christopher Nolan shoots his fight scenes, actually, until. Uh, I think Sean Witzke pointed it out in complaining about earlier movies. And so when he was like, well, this is definitely the best action of the three, I was like, the action scenes look like a mess to me. Like, It's really. so funny. I hadn't noticed it. And then when I was doing the thing with Lev last week for time, mm-hmm. I, he called that out. He specifically mm-hmm. was like, he can't shoot action for his for Toffee. He cannot do an action scene. Yeah, and I was like, "Sure, he can." And then watching this one, I was like, "Oh no, he's right." <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think there, there's a difference. I do think that for the most part, he can shoot. Weirdly, he can shoot action scenes with, uh, for me, with vehicles seem to work fine. But yeah, he can shoot is, chase scenes. I don't think that's yeah. an action scene. This. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think of it as an action scene. But yeah, exactly. I think he can do a chase scene. Great. But when it came to the fight scenes, there were there were levels of them where I was like. This is this is like watching first day at the Universal Brothers stunt show, you know? It was not good. So, which again, like I had been it was only after someone pointed it out to me that I realized it sucked in the other ones and then in this one I was like, "Ooh, yeah, I ooh. Also, is it just me and I, this sounds bitchy and not really very story related, but shouldn't Christopher Christian Bale go to rehab or something like <laughs> That guy, he just what? didn't look. He didn't look healthy. He, he did he, not. Look he healthy. didn't look good. That's true. But I, I, I mean, even I in a movie where he's supposed to not look good most of the time. Oh, you I, don't remember a time when he did technically? Yeah, look I, I good? don't remember a time where Christian Bale has looked good. So I'm just guessing that's the yeah. way he looks. 
I I guess I I felt like he had a little more vitality in the Batman movies and admittedly in the Machinist he's supposed to look bad and in the Prestige I don't know it's in Victorian times so everyone's supposed to look bad I don't know but <laughs> but in this movie I was really like he just he radiated like I don't I it was the eyes wasn't it it was, and that's yeah. it. It didn't matter. Even when he cleaned up and was Bruce Wayne, it was like, ha-ha, his eyes just had this bad psychic, like, okay, as soon as people call cut, I'm taking another two Demerol, and I've not crapped, you know, I basically have a 40-pound poo in me. I just, I he looked bad, and yeah, just constant, constant pain radiating out of his eyes that even... Even though the character is constructed to be that way, it overshot the mark. And it just left me feeling really uncomfortable. I really was like, I'm ready to like walk right out of this film and go on change.org and go and sign the Christian Bale, please take a vacation and maybe lay off the tranquilizers. You know, he really looked like a mess in it. And it was weird because you'd see his at certain points you saw his arms or his his abs and he's clearly doing all of his working out. So it's not, you know, he seemed fit. But but I'm I'm shocked when you see someone who's that fit, who so radiates an unhealthiness. And again, like you said, it's really in the eyes. Creepy, creepy. Yeah, I just. Mm -mm. Uh, <laughs> mm -mm. Mm -mm. Jeff say no. Jeff, no like. Uh, yeah. So, but, you know, despite all my bitching, uh, uh, and believe me, people, I'm sparing you another 40 minutes of it. It was, it was, it was pretty good. Like you said, I felt like it was a more cohesive movie. Well, maybe you didn't say that. That's how I interpreted it. it no, no, like no. That, I, if I did say film. it, I did mean it. I, I feel that once you get over the really bumpy star, it feels like mm -hmm. a movie with a through line as opposed to, for me, Dark Knight feels like two movies. Yeah, I feel like very explicitly like, you know, oh, and this movie's over. What? It's keeping going? It's got another hour and a half? Right. Oh, um, God. Why? I yeah. remember being yeah. in the theater and being like, mm -hmm. why isn't this film over yet? And then realizing, oh, shit, they're doing Two-Face this time? I really did yes. have a moment of, they're going to try and finish the story off as well? Oh, God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Th whereas this film was, you know, they've got a story. They're heading towards a story. The story is over. Fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's it. It had huge epic sweep, but once it was all layered together, lots of little bits like put it, sending the guys out on exile in the ice, or, or having that wonderful cameo uh, by Cillian Murphy as the Scarecrow. Which really, I I'm so glad he's been in all three films, especially because I feel like he's not been in anything else I've seen recently apart from Tron, and so I'm just glad that he he's showing. God, was he in Tron? Oh, he's he's in uh, what's it called? Tron something? What's it? What's it? Yeah, I don't know. Tron reboot, Tron Reloaded, Tron Revolution. I don't know. Tron the Matrix. He, it doesn't matter. He's in that. He's in the Tron film for maybe yeah. like five minutes, doing nothing apart is from. Is it Tron? Tron Legacy? It is, is Tron right? Legacy. That's totally okay. what it is. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah. He's in for five minutes, pretty much setting up equal. Which may never be made now that John like. <laughs> um, yeah, he, and he's completely wasted it. I, it. But seeing him in that, I was like, oh, he's he's really good. Like I always enjoy when he appears, and I thought mm -hmm. he was incredibly magnetic in Dark Knight Rises. I think yeah. he, I think he has exactly the right tone, and he's there for just enough time. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was kind of nice. I mean, it really was. They brought in enough stuff that it felt like. 
you were looking at a cohesive trilogy and I know that there is a there's a real um, through line about ju- justice and vigilantism running through the three movies and it's also supposed to be meant to be talking about uh, you know America in the 21st century that is incredibly sweeping and ambitious and would be so impressive if it wasn't real shite you know what I mean? Yeah I have to say I don't anyone's trying to convince me that it is like, you know, it was always constructed as a trilogy. That's bullshit because otherwise John Blake would have been in an earlier film. Because he comes out of nowhere as the magic... He, like, he's practically Mary Sue. He comes in yeah. and does all these things that no other character could do and it's the moral center that does not break unlike every other character in this film. Right. right. And then goes well, up to become Robin slash Batman at the end. And like, if right. it was really a trilogy, he would have at least been mentioned before. Yeah, I guess. Seriously, I mean, you know, he starts off as a beat cop. Who's said like, "Hey, sure. Bruce Wayne, I know you're Batman." Then gets right. made into detective. Then solves you know, like the secret of what's going on with all the underground drilling. Then saves right. the, all the kids and thing, and then becomes Batman at the end in one yeah. film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yes, let's put it this way: I don't think they knew the details, but I do think that the thematic the the thematic ground that they were talking about um, was consistent enough that I was able to feel like, oh, okay, this is a trilogy, even if it's just the way they constructed it was a way to have some very organic shout outs to the first two films. Um, but yeah, I don't think when they started the first, they knew where they were going to be at the third. I think each stage is constructed sort of on the backs of the other after they're done. And that being said, like I said, I feel like there's a little bit of, you know, some of the things that they're trying to say uh, thematically end up being a bit shite um, because it really does get into that whole stage of like, remember, kids, vigilantism is bad until it's good, you know, and it's uh, but then it's bad, except it's great, you know, and it it just it, it just doesn't ultimately those movies because they keep pointing to what they have to say, unfortunately, I think keep pointing out to the fact that if you put them all together, they actually don't really have anything to say, you know, um, it, it, it sort of underlines it kind of ferociously, which is a shame. You know, I've got a question for you. You, which is a better film for you? Avengers or dark Knight rises. I don't know. That's a really good question. I had, I enjoyed Avengers more. I enjoyed Avengers. I don't want to say, I don't want to say much more, but I felt like a lot more. Like I walked out of Avengers and I was like, despite myself, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I liked it. And Dark Knight Rises, I I think I could say that, that the Dark Knight Rises arguably would be, would pass the whatever test that you have for being a quote unquote better movie mm-hmm. until you until you factor in enjoyment you know what i mean and at that but, point avengers feels like a more enjoyable movie to me see because you know? i was going back and forth on this and i think i have to give it to dark knight rises because i think i'd watch dark knight rises again and i don't think i'd ever watch avengers again hmm, that's actually an interesting point because i feel like i would watch dark knight rises again but how do i put this i would be watching it hoping that i liked it more as opposed to Avengers that I would probably watch again, 
hoping that I wouldn't be disappointed. You know what I mean? Like, I think I would be afraid to watch Avengers again because I would know that I wouldn't like it as much. And Dark Knight Rises seems like a safer bet. I mean, Dark Knight Rises, believe me, I really felt, like you said, you know, the first half's a little choppy and slow, but all the pieces slot together really well and even kind of feel like they have something to say in a place that they're going. And there were enough scenes that I had a certain, you know, glassy-eyed appreciation for. Uh, Avengers felt pretty dodgy. Like, for every one thing that I liked, there were two or three things that I didn't. There were, like, two or three things that felt underfed. And honestly, for me, to, to me, it's like... If you were to edit the best parts out of each movie, like if you were to edit out Mark Ruffalo out of The Avengers and you were to edit Anne Hathaway out of Dark Knight Rises, I would still feel I would feel I'd still feel like Dark Knight Rises would be a better mo- movie, you know what I mean? Like I don't know how to put it like I could still watch Dark Knight Rises although I would enjoy it a lot less and Avengers would have almost nothing going for me in that case. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, Imagine a Mark Ruffalo and Anne Hathaway superhero movie. Serious, put them together. I mean, that this really is the year. I mean, actually, I, I've known from watching Ruffalo that that guy's got a lot. Anne Hathaway is somebody who I just, honestly, I've always liked her, and I kind of felt like she had a lot of talent, but never in any sort of way that would make me go see one of her movies. Like, I'm not really sure if I have seen an Anne Hathaway movie now that I think about it. Um she she i walked out of dark dark night going like yeah that that person is going to be a, a big star like they're not necessary i don't even feel like they're done growing yet but the the her ability to do what christopher nolan wanted and again like i said he really enjoyed working with her you know you can really tell that what he enjoyed was like there's one point where she's wearing that you know you know, dress right out of Breakfast at Tiffany's with that hat, you know, mm-hmm. where she's heading for the airport. You know, he's just able to play with her, like, visually by making a whole bunch of references to other films and other things and the way her tone changes. And also, you know, what? apart from her little cartoon femme fatale thing, which was more in the first half, what I really liked about the character was in the last half of the movie – She's a character that Batman and Bruce Wayne need, but they don't, but it feels more in a literally, I need you because you're, because you have skills. You know what I mean? Like when she's rolling around doing her action scenes, um, it was great to watch. And it's in no small part, it was great to watch because by the point of the movie, it made her so much of an equal in the world of the film without without turning it into just the boobs and butt Catwoman. You know what I mean? Like, even when times when she's wearing some skin-tight outfit, it just, it felt really different. I was kind of like, hey, this feels like an actual female uh, anti-hero that feels, you know, I guess like is being treated like an ant, a hero, an ant, as a character first and kind of as a female character second. And yeah, really... it has to be said, I was really surprised at the lack of, look at this hot woman. She's wearing skin-tight clothes. Exactly. 
Exactly. I mean, apart from like a sort of, you know, comical, you know, call me from the congressman or or, you know, whatever, when there's obviously some real sleazy guys earlier, there's no sort of like, what was that horrible line from Batman Returns? Do you know the well, one I'm talking which about? One. Uh, um, there's so many bad ones, but it's the one where 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 Danny DeVito makes some comment about her pussy or something like that, and it was just like, really, you guys were gonna like it was kind of like going there in the most, you know, guys gym clubby kind of way. I really like the fact that it was such a, it was so far away from what everyone was jumping up and down and and I think rightfully complaining about in in the Catwoman New Fifty Two launch. I really felt like this was a character that was maybe because it's her introduction was defined as who she was first. And then her relationship to, to Batman and Bruce Wayne was a very distant second, you know? Yeah. And also I like that she didn't seem odd by him. If that makes sense. Yeah. You could tell she was charmed by him, but no point when she's like, it's Batman. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. I, I thought it was a, a nice, a nice change yeah. from the norm. Although I yeah. would say, I love Batman Returns. I know you're dissing it, and I know I kind of dissed it as well, but Batman Returns may be my favorite of the Batman movies. I don't know why, but it really... Why? The only part I I liked about that was, like, Catwoman. crazy campness of the whole thing. Oh, no. It's, it's like, everything gone wrong. Bear in mind, I also like Batman and Robin, so my taste in Batman films is very skewed. See, I can almost see, like, is Batman... Batman and Robin's the no, it's the is fourth. It? It's the oh, one with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Uma Thurman. Oh, that's not Batman Forever? Why am I getting that confused? Uh, anyway. One before it, because that makes sense. Oh, right, right, right. Okay, anyway, Batman and Robin, the fourth one, I will grant you, because it is so goddamn awful. Someday I will see it again. It was... Oh, it's it's it, terribly awful. Like, you'll yeah. remember being better, and then you'll see it on TV, and you'll be like, oh, this is almost unwatchably awful. And yet, for some reason, I'm like, okay. <laughs> I completely buy into it. Yeah, I I really like Batman Returns, but I know it's a terrible film. Oh, Batman Returns, I I absolutely loathe. And yet, in some ways, I was kind of like, see, this is my problem. I mean, this is the reason why I will say this, and every listener will be like, why in the name of God have I been listening to Jeff at all on any of his opinions, is I I never thought any of the Batman movies were especially that good. Like, the first movie is like a can of slop. You know, highly wait, 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 influential wait, wait, wait. flop. Are you talking the '66 one, the '89 one, or oh no, 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 no! Sorry, sorry. I do mean the first Tim Burton movie. I, okay. you know, the the first the first Adam West movie is sort of beyond good and evil. You know what I mean? Like I can't judge it. <laughs> I enjoy it. I could like bad, sure, good, whatever. I saw it when I was three year old, three or four years old. I I have no choice but to love it. You know what I mean? Yep. But having seen that, but seeing the 89 one when I did after reading so much about what it was going to be, I suppose. And like I, having read like every one of the goddamn bubblegum cards by the time I walked into it, I really liked the look of it and kind of loathed just about every other part of it, you know? So, well, not loathed it. I walked out going, wow, that's so, it was one of those movies that it wasn't until the fourth time that I was watching it in the theater, I should add, that I went, wow, yeah, I don't, okay, I don't like this. You know what I mean? Because I was, I was so like, I have to like this movie. And it, I mean, there are some parts of it that are 
you know, gorgeous and really did an interesting job of changing the nature of the franchise film, like inventing and reinventing it at the same time. So, yeah, by the time you get to Batman and Robin and Arnold Schwarzenegger, I was like, sure, why not? You know what I mean? Like, I'm kind of like, that movie is so terrible that I'm kind of looking forward to seeing it again. I really am, because it was you, you, you will lose that really, really quickly. Yeah, when you try and rewatch it, and it's just like, yeah. oh, God, yeah. stop. Yeah, you, it's one of those films that you actually, you go through this sort of, you know, five stages of grief thing, where you manage to convince <laughs> yourself that it can't be that bad, and actually, right. maybe it was good, and you just didn't, you just weren't in the mood for it, and then you see it, and you're like, oh, no, it wasn't. It was not good. Yeah. Oh, well, I think that's it. I, it's not so much that it was good at all. It was just that it was so hilariously bad. Like, you think back on it, and you just laugh. So, but Batman Returns, which I laughed at at the time, and I thought for the action scenes, they, like, were much, much better than in the first movie. Uh, I don't know why Batman keeps getting guys who can't direct action, other than it's impossible to watch a guy dressed like that actually fight. But I was... I just remember the second movie just like walking out and I, I kind of like I was like, best Batman movie ever. And a week later, I was like, why do I keep washing my hands? I don't understand why I keep washing my hands and I can't stop. And why am I weeping? I appear to be weeping, you know. So, yeah, I don't know, Graham. Uh, more power to you. Maybe I'll rewatch that and go. That was a lost classic. But really everything. About oh, I, I'm not sure it was a lost classic at all. I, I'm not making well, an argument in the slightest. I'm just saying for some reason I think it might be my favorite film. I, see, here's my other thing. is One of the things that impresses me, I think I've told you this, my secret theory about the first Batman film, part of what I didn't like about it, is, is that Tim Burton is basically defeating the movie. Like It's not so much like he's defeating the movie, but at every point during the Batman movie, he deliberately, deliberately insists on a choice that he thinks will prevent them from making a sequel. You know what I mean? Like, there's... Because you, you walk out of that the Batman film and you're like, A, why, did, why would they kill the Joker? B, why would they establish that the Joker killed his parents? And C, why do you have him, like find out that the Joker killed his parents because now there's really no reason for Batman. All of which I believe would be Tim Burton going, yes, exactly. You know, and just to <laughs> just to cap things off, because I know that there's a script already written that has Two-Face in it, you know, that Sam Hamm has like, you know, been talking to the comics press about, I'm going to make it a point to ferociously insist that Billy D. Williams be cast as Harvey Dent so that there's no way that that will ever happen, you know? So my whole theory about the Batman movie I still movie feel is, robbed that we never got to see Billy D. Williams as Two-Face. Oh, my God. No, you don't. Oh, that, that, that would have been... <laughs> that would have been... Come on. Hi, I'm Harvey Dent. Hi, I'm Two-Face. Exactly. You know... It would have been so great to be multifaceted try, try, actor. Try to be evil. It was, yeah, oh, but oh, Billy it D. Was. Williams can barely make himself look unhappy at the prospect of being Billy D. Williams. It's, you know, all he can do to be like, hey. You know, so the idea that he'd be playing Two-Face is, I mean, so really, it was perfect casting in that regard. If you're trying to block a sequel. And then when Tim Burton goes and makes a sequel... I really feel that, that Batman Returns is kind of like the, like, okay, I'll do it. But A, on the one hand, I'm only really going to be interested in the part with the penguins. You know what I mean? Like, it was kind of like, 
okay, I'll do it, but I'm, I have to tell you. See, that's it. I, it's, he's it's, really like. No, it's, it's like I'll, Bob Iron returns for me is the one where Tim Burton comes by Mexico and is like, okay, but I've got some crazy ideas, but you're going to go with me, right? Because the first one was a success, and then no one tells him no, and they really he should have. No, I don't. I don't think. I think they did tell him no, and he's like, "Do you want me to make the movie or not?" They're like, "Ah, duh. technically, you were the one part that made it all. That we really hung a market. We can't make it without him. I don't think can we." You know, and I'm sure Michael Keaton was like, well, I won't come back unless Tim Burton comes back. And Tim Burton was like, I will never come back. And then they basically threw him in Uncle Scrooge's money pit. And then he's like, "Okay, give me two of these and the ability to put whatever I want in there and I'll do it. And they're like, "Okay, great. He's like, great. I want penguins with rocket packs. And they're like, what the fuck did we do? You know what I I mean? Christopher Walken's hair for the movie. It's that's that's what I love. I love the the, I love the fact that it, it everything about that movie is wrong. Oh, Graham. Oh, no. Graham. <laughs> Seriously. I mean, this is it. It's a terrible, you, terrible film. I, but like, I, I, I know. Like, it's completely me being contrarian, but I love everything you that's wrong with that you film. You are such a contrarian. You really are. I mean, it is something that I admire about you, but I, I really just have got to be like – because in, in the back of my head, there's part of me that's like, okay – you can put an axe cop closer on him somehow on this. And I'm just, I'm not going to be able to. I'm just not going to be able to. You will like what you like, my friend. And Yeah, and sadly, there's you. no rhyme or reason. That is that is the sad thing. Yeah, that is the thing. So those of us listening to, you know, like, things are a little variable here. Uh, did you read other comics this week? Uh, yeah, I did. I'm trying to think what, what I read. Um, yeah. Let's see. I'm going to... I'm getting this week's comics and last week's comics mixed up because we didn't do last week's either. I did Captain Marvel, but that was last week. Right. Did you read? Oh, no, you wouldn't. It's Marvel. Exactly. Uh, I'm kind of like, Captain- oh, right. I picked up books last week, too, here, but I here, don't remember. Here's the crazy was. thing. Captain Marvel, I mm-hmm. really had problems with. And then I read Kieran uh, – not read. I heard Kieran Gillen's podcast with Kelly Sue DeKalanick mm-hmm. about the first issue. And that podcast single-handedly convinced me to try the second issue. Huh. Um, well done. Yeah, good job, Kieran Gillen. Uh, Mar- yes. Marvel will thank you for that. The problems I really had were I thought that tonally it was a fucking mess and structurally mm-hmm. it was really not together uh, mm-hmm. and that the art was fighting with the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you hear the interview and Kelly Sue is like, yeah, so the end of the issue was originally the start of the issue and then we reworked it. And the story as I wrote it then, got the art back and I had to re-dialogue some of it because he'd written it much more violently than I'd intended it. And I was kind of like, oh, she's kind of copying to everything I had a problem with. Right. Um, right. Which really did buy me a lot of goodwill. And I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try the second issue. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of worry that it's, I don't know, that it's not enough of a good first issue that it might have killed the book. Do you know what I mean? Like, if people who would be like, I'm going to try this out, and then they'll read it and they'll be like, that was at best mediocre. Huh. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of a shame. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because it wasn't really a good first issue. Uh, it, yeah. it, it has said. Talking about good first issues, National Comics Eternity, mm-hmm. which is the first of the, the essentially DC Comics pilots. Yeah, that's a one uh, shot, right? Yeah, it's Jeff Lemire and Cully Hamner doing Kid Eternity. Uh, yeah. And. Honestly, I got maybe halfway into it and I was like, I really liked Pushing Daisies as well. Because <laughs> that's the take on it. 
he works in a morgue, he can bring people back to life to find out how they died. That's literally pushing daisies, apart from he was a pie maker. But the wow. he solves murders by bringing them back to life. So yeah, See, that, I, that I, kind don't, of... I don't get it. Kid Eternity is just one of those like fucking. I just wish they'd reprint the original stories, which I read some of in the the hundred page giants, and they were great. And they're just such a great kids' idea, you know. I don't understand why we kind of gotta keep. Well, they've gabbing it up. They've you know? changed his powers around substantially now. It sounds so like, no longer yes. no longer does he say Eternity and he can bring anyone back. Uh, right. Now he has to touch them and he essentially brings their ghost back. Right. Right. I sort of once you describe pushing days, I'm like, oh, okay, that makes it, like it makes but sense. It's but kind again, of it's sad because like a pushing daisies exists, right? I, and B, Kid Eternity was like the old version of the powers was much better because mm-hmm. did you read that Enchanted series in the nineties? No, I read I read Grant Morrison's retake, which I have to admit I didn't love, and having Anna Senti come in and do an idea to do a take on it that I was already she, she did, coolish. It's a very very Anna idea, shall we say? Mm-hmm. Like it's oh nothing like the Morrison series at all. Interesting. Um, and but it's very it's for people who read her Daredevil and was like, I wish she could just get cut loose and not feel so constrained by superheroes. Oh Jesus! Who no, the fuck just, like read Daredevil? And that, that? That's what I'm saying. Like it's that. <laughs> and the um, but but that had lots of really interesting uses and takes. Do you know what I mean? Because you like mm-hmm. bring back fictional characters, or you bring back. People who've been mm-hmm. dead for a long time, whatever. Mm-hmm. And so now that he has to touch a corpse and he brings the corpse back, the ghost back. Right. It's, it just seems duller. Yeah. It seems way more dull. Well, and it seems dull in that, yeah. I, I just, everything about that book, I was, I was kind of, I have to say, interestingly enough, this week at the comic store, I was really annoyed at DC. Um, I don't, it's a variety of factors. Uh, and that was one where I was like, you're going to make people pay three ninety nine for a one-shot? You know what I mean? Like, it just kind of all has everything. Yeah, but like, it's it's long. Yeah, I guess. I, you know? I want to say it's like 40 pages, maybe longer. Yeah, it seemed it seemed extra sized, but I just... Uh, but I'm still sort of like... I, I agree with you, but also can't agree with you, because, like, mm-hmm. Marvel makes people pay three ninety nine for a 20-page comic. Sure. No, I agree. Well, <laughs> but I'm but I'm already annoyed at them, and sure, like, it could be argued like, that they throw a digital comic in with that. So you know, yeah, which which doesn't really seem like much. But well, I guess that's it. Is my worry is is that I found like DC at month eleven is right on the cusp of returning to all of their worst pre New Fifty Two habits with some of the lousier of the new 52 habits thrown in. You know what I mean? So this was because what happened was I picked up Flash number 11 and it's, you know, another issue in which it's Francis Manipal and Brian Buccoletto writing it. But they're not drawing anymore. It's Marcus Toe. No, Marcus Toe. And I'm just like, there's no reason. I'm ready to drop this book now. There's no reason for me to read this, you know? I mean, it's sort of fun, but the only reason I find it amazing that DC did this situation of like, okay, we're going to bring all these writers in. I mean, all these artists in and give them a strong hand in writing the books. And then at a certain point, they're just going to become so overwhelmed. They're just going to write and you're not going to see the art on it, you know? So like Detective Comics number 11 
which Tony Daniel is writing and uh, Julio Ferreira is drawing, you know, Julio Ferreira did some okay things with it. And uh, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm okay with the fact that Bruce Wayne's Asian now. I think that's kind of an interesting interpretation of the character, kind of. But I'm like, okay, that you know. But I really, and God knows, Tony Daniels' scripting is stupid enough that I will. I'm still reading the book, sort of with some enjoyment. Like it is, it is, it is approaching '60s level of bad scripting. Like there's shit here where they where they talk about radiation, where I'm like, okay either me or Tony Daniel does not know a goddamn thing about radiation. And I'm not sure which one of us it is anymore. Like it was really weird. Like it, it Bruce, could be both of you, Jeff. Come on. I, I think be it fair. probably is. Cause yeah. Cause Bruce Wayne's like, Oh, the radiation. Oh, I feel so slow and sluggish. People are like, yeah, it's probably the radiation. I'm like, really? Don't you think maybe it's, I don't know when he gets the cancer, that's the radiation. Like who's like, Oh, this radium, it's making me feel so woozy you know yeah sure you feel woozy once you start shitting your insides out but when you've got batman like i don't know like scrubbing lice out of himself you're, in a you're, shower you're jumping forward to next year's big batman event <laughs> yes i am <laughs> bat cancer uh i i don't I, I i just but so so i was really at this stage of like okay so these are artists who are now not telling their stories and therefore they're not telling them in the way that they're supposed to. I mean, like J.H. Williams is probably never coming back to Batwoman. Is that pretty much agreed that that's what's happening because no, of he's, Batman he's, Zero? No, or? he's coming back for the next arc. Oh, he is. He and definitely is. And then that's it. probably it. Yeah, probably it. So, I don't know. It's I, don't know that com- I don't know. Sandman isn't scheduled. Right. Like, well, it, re- it, it really could be. be that they could be like, keep doing Batwoman and do Sandman when you can handle it. Bear in mind, the structure of Batwoman is he gets every second arc off anyway. Right. So I think they're probably thinking that he can work that in. But mm-hmm. So I don't know. That plus the three ninety nine one shots plus the issue zeros coming up plus Dan DiDio talking about the line-wide event coming up uh, to you know in celebration of the anniversary. I'm just like... I'm get oh and plus I don't even know how I could look this over as you pointed out in email Grant Morrison is you know getting ready to is is moving off doing regular books which I just find really surprising despite your psychic acuity I am uh, psychic Jeff you you should just believe me dude I, I'm serious I, I really I, was I speak bold Scottish people with delicious GM psychic signals. <laughs> So let me tell you why. I mean, this is my thing. Did I? I must have missed some sort of formidable cue here. But like, Grant Morrison has always talked like Superman is one of his all-time favorite DC characters. You know, mm-hmm. and so I kind of figured that he would do because at this stage, the number of Superman issues that he's done compared to the number of Batman issues that he's done is kind of a drop in the bucket you know yeah, what i mean yeah. and yeah, getting off at of 16 is a really short run really short like i really honestly thought here's a guy who can do superman and pretty much can do it with as co- close to carte blanche as you can get from dc uh i would have figured that he would have been good for you know, at least as long as his Batman run, at least two years or three years out of it. So to see him like jump after 16, 
uh, I'm still really baffled by, I have to say. I mean... I, I think... I think he's undergone a change in attitude towards ownership. Wow. So you I, really I do gen- think that I genuinely one statement think, was... I genuinely mm-hmm. think when he did that Flex Mental interview, uh-huh. I honestly, like, that was the part where I was like, oh, he's not long for that company. Wow. I poo-pooed it, but I guess you must have called it, you know, because he's like, eh. that's surprising. That's it. Have you seen his CBR interview that went up this afternoon? No, no, not at all. It's it's got a spectacular thing in there <laughs> that I think is just going to enrage the internet. Oh, please tell me more. Uh, let's see. I was aware of that stuff. He says talking about the essentially Superman legal case with mm-hmm. the Schusters and, and the Seagulls, and I felt it was worth at least bringing up the debate in an actual Superman book. Occupy Action Comics. DC published the story, this being issue nine, without editing mm-hmm. it or censoring it or censoring anything in there. They were happy to publish it, even though it critiqued hot topic aspects of their own business. We're all grown-ups. I'm sorry that people were discouraged, but anyone who expects me to take a stronger stand in this issue are going to be disappointed. I'm not the leader of a political party. I'm a freelance commercial writer who sells stories to pay the bills. I'm not an employee of any company except the one run by me and my wife. I'm not a role model or a figurehead for any movement. I don't doubt that the correlations can be underhanded, and I feel sorry for anyone who genuinely gets caught out. We live in a world where every day involves multiple negotiations with corporate power in one way or another, and all I can say is enlist a lawyer to go through any contract before you sign it or self-publish. As if that was not enough, he then goes on to say, Otherwise, my own relationship with DC Comics is a pretty good one. I have a lot of friends at the company. I have a been treated fairly and with respect. I get to do what I want without heavy-handed editorial interference. The accounting department pays regularly. It pays on time. Royalties are good. My back catalogue is kept in print in multiple editions. And honestly, I couldn't say the same for some of the small press or alternative publishers I've worked with in the past. Most of them still offer me for work done in good faith. Under DC's umbrella, with access to their printing facilities and distribution, I've been able to put out some pretty idiosyncratic personal stuff like Kill Your Boyfriend, The Invisibles, The Filth, We Three, Joe the Barbarian, and others to a wide audience. Me and my collaborators own those books. No one can do before We Three but me and Frank Whiteley. No one can do after Sea Guy except me and Cameron Stewart. This is the part that I think is going to be upsetting to people. I never signed a contract I regretted and I never felt cheated by DC. My own experience proves that they can be reasonable and honourable if you deal with them in an adult fashion. And I have to take that into account before I condemn anyone working there today over decisions made in the past. I found that issues rarely seem to come in convenient black and white, and that's pretty much my last word on this. Wow. That's... I I know, right? I I honestly don't know how I feel about that. Well, see, and this is my thing, my grandma. I'm like... Yeah, I'm like, okay, I'm back to saying that, yeah, I totally, you know, again, I'm like, I don't know. I, you know, I. it's great that you brought that up after getting me to acquiesce about your brilliant psychic wait, powers. Because now I'm like, no, Graham, you're wrong. I'm right. You know, Wait, there's something yes? else he says as well. Jesus. I'm not qualified to, with, to engage with any legal issues, but I have the tools to engage with the nature of Superman metaphorically which I'm doing to the best of my ability for the next few months. My brief and slender connection to any of this tenditious business ends with Action Comics issue 16. Thank God. Wow. The thank God is fascinating. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, honest. Well, you know what? I think that, um, uh, well, here's the thing. I think that Grant Morrison may be fooling himself on a number of levels there, not least of which seems to be the idea that if I, you know, his sort of like, well, if I stop working for DC, people are going to leave me alone about the shit that I said, you know, in various interviews and super gods, right? Everyone's going to go back to basically being pretty copacetic with me, right? That's what it's going to take because I'll do it. All right. And I don't think that that's the case. Yeah, I'm assuming that's what the thank God is, you know, Um, because I guess it would be one thing for me if he had if the nature of his apologia seemed different, but it really seems. um, I don't know. I I don't Uh, either. Like, I really don't know how I feel about it. Well, I don't. My my initial reaction, because I am the fiery one, is well, you know, fuck that guy. You know, <laughs> no, I know, I know, and I, I I definitely have an element of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I think so. when he, I think when he says things like uh, the whole part about no one can do before what uh, we three are after Sea Guy, uh, mm-hmm. never signed a contract I regretted, and he never felt cheated by DC. Uh, if you deal with them in an adult fashion, yeah, I mean I, that feels that feels like trolling. That really yeah. feels like trolling. Well, or or over defensiveness, because it seems like there's a lot of defensiveness ladled into all that. Maybe maybe I'm misreading it, but it really seems like there's a huge helping dish of, hey, I you know, a don't look to me like a leader because I'm not a leader. B I don't really know. I'm not a lawyer. I C I always had good interactions with these guys, and uh, you know. But but then it goes like a few steps further. It all seems to come from weird steps of um, uh, why wouldn't there's a lot of like why does this need to be said unless clearly he believes that people feel otherwise, I guess. So automatically it seems kind of defensive in that regard. Well, it's not uh, only that. It's that he says things like in an adult fashion or we're all grown-ups. Like there's, yeah. the, there's the implication of people who disagree with me are being childish. Right. Right, which is bad. And it also seems to suggest that that DC – like I kind of would like – I would kind of like Grant Morrison, you know, because I could be wrong. But I think despite his various uh, foibles, I definitely think that Greg Rucka is a grown-up, you know, and I think talks like he is profoundly frustrated and hurt by some of his interactions with DC – and did not feel like he was handled um, handed a good deal. Like Grant Grant Morrison seems somewhat to disingenuously, um, without mentioning it, sort of downplay the idea that he has power or pull that re- that means that he will be treated better than others might. You know well, yeah, I mean? I, but I, uh, Yes, but at the same time, he also gets to say something like, I get to do what I want without heavy-handed editorial interference. And he has to know that that's not the case for most people. Yeah. I mean, do you know what I mean? Like, he has to. say it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he, I think that's his thing, is he thinks... I mean, he's at the stage where he's like, yeah, I get, I get, I get treated well, so I don't get treated with editorial interference. But it almost feels like that's the way that that's how he defines DC being heavy-handed and not 
DC like telling people, oh, hey, yeah, you're off the books starting next month and someone else is finishing up your storyline. Or, oh, yeah, hey, we want you to pitch for the new 52 and, you know, you've got 48 hours to get back to us. And we're going to tell you when you're, you know, that you're on the book, but we're never going to bother to tell you that you're off it until you see the announcement in the press, you know, and a variety of other things that is just that boils down to. I mean, admittedly, DC is not, you know, a single monolithic entity. It appears to be, you know, it's a corporation filled with a lot of people who have some really, really shitty uh, passive aggressive and entitlement issues, you know, I think, as far as I can tell in editorial, but, but also probably some that don't, you know, and maybe Morrison was definitely <laughs> I, at this stage. I'd like to hope. <laughs> I would like to, I would like to hope too, but I don't know, you know, it just is, um, mm, I don't know. It, it just, that's, that's an impressive amount of stuff coming from his face uh and especially in the sense of like yeah this is my statement i've got nothing to be you know basically i have no regrets uh i'm just leaving you know uh in approximately you know six months less than six months because um eh, you know what are you gonna do you know like kind of weird I, I was talking with hibbs about it and of course he we hadn't seen this interview that came out today but, you know, I was talking with Hibbs about it a little bit yesterday, and he was kind of like, ah, you know, Morrison, Morrison is the guy who's kind of, you know, that you can't predict, you know. And I was like, A, Graham did, and B, I don't think that that's really true of Grant, the Grant Morrison of the last four or five years. So, oh, more than that. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it struck me as rather disingenuous. Like, I'm kind of like, either he felt, you know, some sort of age of being interference free was coming to an end or there was some sort of like grand like hey good news you know good news everyone gets to participate in this absolutely mandatory dc new 52 summer camp crossover that he just was like okay then i'm just out you know because it's, it's far enough it's ahead also that- it's also possible that he realized he was becoming irrelevant i made this argument to someone on twitter and they, they did not agree with me at all but i think yeah. that batman incorporated is essentially like a side book now mm-hmm. scott snyder is very clearly in control of the batman franchise scott lobdell has just been placed on superman and i would not be surprised if he becomes the leader of the superman franchise and it's very mm-hmm. possible that morrison was just like well if i don't get to control the toys i don't want to play with the toys could be could be. I could see. I mean, see, that's my thing is, is I feel like he had control of the toys. It sort of sounds to me more like, well, if I don't get to control the toys and be the guy in the head spotlight, then I don't want to play with the toys more. You know what I mean? Because unless they're actually saying, yeah, what Scott Lobdell says on Superman goes and has to be worked into Action Comics. I doubt they're saying that. And And to me, again, he wrote that one issue of Action Comics that sort of almost effortlessly – Mate proved him to be kind of as relevant as he wants to be. Let's put it that way. You know, his ability. And in fact, the idea that 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 action comic story is so powerful, in part because it is a Superman book as opposed to an, you know. Yeah, if it was Supreme or whatever, it wouldn't be the same thing at all. Yeah. 
Yeah, it it would have it have a certain amount of heft to it, but r- smacked right in the middle of a Superman book, it said it is it has some very very you know strong and direct and impressive things to say, and he could continue to do that uh, again. Like I said, for as long as he wants. Like I feel like that guy between that and like the second issue of Batman Incorporated, and maybe the fact that the third issue got you know delayed is a sign that that guy is pretty relevant unless you're unless you're using relevance in a uh, irrelevance in a in a certain way that I'm not thinking of it as I suppose you know it, I think that guy is um yeah no it seems way more to me like he's kind of like I, I don't know I kind of don't want to get hit in the face with a pie at Morrison con you know kind of thing I don't know <laughs> Not that anyone should do that, God forbid. So, I don't think uh, any of our listeners are going to be going to MorrisonCon, do you think? Listeners, is anyone going to MorrisonCon? Let us know in the comments, because Graham is. Um, what? <laughs> oh, I, I, uh, I? Sorry. <laughs> no, no, he's not. But I was hoping I'd get that response. Uh, yeah, no. I, have I not already <laughs> talked about going to MorrisonCon and the lack thereof? The fact that it's so prohibitively expensive and also on my wife's birthday? That's not going to happen. Oh, yeah, your wife's birthday. I don't, you know, I'm sure you mentioned that, but... Um, I told you that, I the, I told you that uh, one of the organizers tried to make the case that I could sell it to her as a vacation in Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, I don't think it's a great birthday trip if I'm like, let's go to Las Vegas. I'm going to be in a convention for the next three days. Exactly. Oh, by the way, honey, this is... You're going to laugh at this. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It turns out. And in the evenings, I'm going to work a convention. <laughs> Enjoy staying in a hotel room or a casino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's really not going to fly. Um, that's strange that, isn't it? Jeff, we had a hard stop, and we're, we're perilously close to it. Oh, yeah, we are. We are, yeah. Uh, let's Cause see Because you've, like, got a life now or something. What's that? No, no I, I really don't. Uh, what, I have, what I have are obligations. So I'm just, in order to make sure that I've got even a remote shot at getting this up by our regular Tuesday morning deadline, um, I've got to keep it somewhat short because uh, I'm going to be jumping through a lot of hoops over the next five days. Okay, to be very quick, I also read Extreme X-Men number one this week. Um I was so hopeful, and I really shouldn't have been. Who, who Short version, anyway. Greg Pak. Ah, uh, thank you. Okay. Short version, or is uh, that the short version? That was the short, short version. version. Short, Greg short Pack. Ver- no, no, no. Uh, short version was I shouldn't have been excited to read it. It was. It was. Uh, I don't know. Some people are probably going to love it. It was bordering on incomprehensible for me. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and yet again, I would love someone to actually try and write Dazzler in a coherent manner as opposed to, okay, so she's a faded pop star, right? Okay, so this is how she'd act, which is what every every single writer seems to do. But their idea of what a faded pop star acts like is different in every single occasion. So you're like, okay, so she's doing that? Oh, she's doing this. Oh, she's doing that? It's a hard life being a Dazzler fan, Jeff. I know. Well, I think that was my problem with um... – a lot of Mar- – I mean Marvel doesn't really quite have the same continuity with most of their minor characters, much less their C-list characters. You know what I mean? That, oh, I think that's oh, my just problem. Just remind me. Can I bitch really quickly? Of course. Have you seen All Winter Squad? Have you seen the news about All Winter Squad, their new web cartoon, Marvel's new web cartoon? Mm-mm. 
I have I have such problems with this. It's uh, essentially a what if someone did Venture Brothers for Marvel? Oh. Seems seems to be the hook. Uh-huh. It's like, hey, here's some loser characters, and they're all getting together. Uh-huh. Uh, problematic. My problem is this: Howard the Duck's in there, and the joke is Howard's bitter because he was the first character to have a Marvel movie, and no one gives him any respect. Oh yeah, didn't they do some sort of web thing like that earlier? I swear to God, I saw like, no, they have, what it, the shot or so, yeah, short or something. What, it like was that. what the and it's the same writers doing this now. But there's also mm-hmm. Ruby Thursdays in there, um, the Unicorn Hypno Hustler. Oh, I saw the thing with Unicorn and Hypno Hustler and yeah. Howard the Duck, and I was yeah, like, yeah, what the, what yeah, that that's going? it. Um, I have real problems with this. I, I like, I have this weird. For some reason, I feel like it is A, completely misunderstanding Howard the Duck in the first place, and B, weirdly pissing on Steve Gerber. Mm-hmm. I, 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 really, I find it really weirdly problematic that no one is like, hang on. <laughs> right. What? I, I, I'm, yeah, I really I, – I kind of want you to watch it because you won't be paying for anything. It's a free web video. Uh, right. So we can talk about it because it's I, – I really – I'm – weirdly troubled by it mm-hmm. well i'll i'll uh i probably will check it out um uh do you know who's writing it because i swear to god it's, I'm it's, like, it's the, not the what, it's the what the people it's ben morris and uh the the various marvel.com people oh, okay right because i'm like ben morris and you know i sort, sort of associate him because wasn't he in one of the the cool kids table with yes. um yeah with kyle. kyle and sean collins and stuff yeah, yeah okay all right, so I'm just checking because I'm. Yeah, because they're, they're, tri- they're all former wizard people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I just wanted to make sure whose whose toes I might be might be treading on because I saw the I saw the short and I was deeply disappointed and kind of um, skeeved out by it, but I kind of felt like it felt more to me like um, I don't know freelancer mistake one hundred and one kind of like. Kind of like, hey, we're doing this character and we're kind of making them, you know, we're coming up with an angle for them that's going to be funny and we're going to quote them in a way that shows a lot of love for the character, I suppose. You know, because Hypno Hustler sort of also has that, like, he's so bad, he's great kind of following, you know, out there in the world. Uh, And Rocket Racer, too, I guess, you know, a couple of those other dudes. And I really feel like... um, I've, yeah, I think, unfortunately, this is my problem, is nine times out of ten, which is part of the reason why it's – why why me parting ways with Marvel was uh, for the best for everyone. I felt like even the people who were, like, rereading the characters in the 70s and were like, okay, I'm going to bring them back and show you how in touch with, you know, classic Marvel 70s I am, really somehow seemed to kind of miss the point and aggravate me in a way, you know? Um more and more, I hate to say it, I kind of feel like part of me is like that that classic story about Jack Kirby where he's like, yeah, if you want to do, if, you know, if you want to do comics like Jack Kirby, just create new comics. You know, mm-hmm. It's like I'm kind of getting to that stage, whereas like as much as I love those characters, I somehow cross some sort of cranky old man event horizon where I'm sort of like, yeah, if you want to if you want to enjoy them, go dig up the original stories and read them. Then, if you really want to do justice by them, figure out ways to create your own new wacky takes on the zeitgeist, you know, that, um, 
that isn't necessarily bringing these characters back. Because yeah, I think I think Steve Gerber is probably spinning in his grave. I, I'm sure Bill Mantlo's kind of doing flip flops on his bed. You know, like as excited as everyone got about uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy movie and Rocket Raccoon in there, I think there I I felt for other curmudgeonly souls who were like. Hey, if you're really excited, why don't you give money to Bill Mantlo at the Hero Initiative? Because he's not going to see a goddamn dime otherwise. You know? Yeah, yeah. So wouldn't it I be nice? It if, wouldn't it be nice if Marvel like stepped up and put and gave Bill Mantlo's medical funds like a lot of money? Yeah, it like, would be fantastic. Would, I, I mean, it, it would it would never happen because it was set right. precedent that Marvel would never never want to be in place. But I don't know. It's just. I don't know. I think they're pretty good at not following up on their precedents. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have perfectly all, they have no problem going, well, that was then and this is now. So if you got a problem for it, we'll see you in court, you know? So, uh, but, and on that merry note. Um, is, is really, is that a, I know that bombshell? It probably is. No, no, no. So. Actually, we, I, I think we've got, we, you know, if we want to, if we want to gossip for a few minutes and, God knows that wouldn't be what this conversation sounds like at all. Oh, no. It would be much worse. We'd name names. That is true. Uh, we, should, we should probably jump to have a few minutes before we, before we wrap, I think. so. Listeners, this has been a scattered, but it's because we had a week off, uh, episode of Wade Watch. We thank you for listening. We thank you for your patience. And if you are a comic creator that I have accidentally offended during this week's episode, why don't you leave a note in the comments and then someone will troll you. <laughs> also al ewing i think you're great so... <laughs> yeah that's true al if if you're upset at jeff's uh treatments of you then why right. you leave a comment in the comments and then someone will troll you yeah knowing knowing al ewing he would probably troll himself exactly he will he'll yeah. create his own sock puppet <laughs> yeah exactly uh yes Yes, on that merry, merry but somewhat oblique note, listeners, we encourage you to check out the show notes at savagecrick.com. Oh, and if you don't mind, it has been forever since anyone has written a review for us on iTunes. We have some very lovely uh, reviews, um, but I think the, the last one is maybe almost a year old, I want to say, or something. So... Or six months. I don't know. It's pretty much the same thing for me. So if you don't mind, if one of you has been enjoying the the delicious nougaty goodness that we bring to you almost every week and would like to leave a review uh, on iTunes saying some pleasant words to to lure in other like-minded folk, it would definitely be appreciated. Bye! Brilliant. Wow. (laughs) Right there. Perfect. Perfect.